Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, if you're a visitor, we want to welcome and, and we're thankful for your presence. We are a, a serving church and a giving church. This last Monday, we uh, went to Amen. I want to thank all the volunteers who did that. We served 89 families. They, they are serving a lot more people than um, they, they have in the past, and uh, they, they need food. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to collect food, and we're going to uh, pray over this important ministry that so many of us are involved in. And so uh, next Sunday, if you want to uh, bring some, some items and, and, and keep them in the pew, we'll, we'll have some of our young people uh, come down the aisles and collect that food, and then we're going to pray over that. If you do bring some large items, there'll be a table in the back, and you just set the large items back there. We are continuing this series, Preaching from the Poets, where we're looking at the theological message behind some of the, the songs, the secular songs that are in our culture. And this morning, we're looking at a song entitled, For the Soul, by Josh Ritter. And it's a new song that was released uh, in April of this last year. It's gotten some airplay on satellite radio, so it's not just some obscure track that, that's been overlooked on an album. Um, Josh Ritter, if you've never heard of him, he's an Americana artist. He was influenced by people like uh, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan. And in 2006, he was named one of the 100 greatest living songwriters. And so that's, that's quite an accomplishment. He's a talented writer. He not only writes songs and albums and that stuff, but he's also written two novels. Now, as far as I can tell, Ritter is not a religious person. Spiritual elements show up in his songs, but that's true of most great songwriters. I've never heard him make a statement of faith. I've never heard him talk about belonging to a church community. And so he seems to be a good representation of people in our culture. And this is why it's important that we, we practice the, the spiritual discipline of listening that, that we discussed last week. We can learn things from these songs about our neighbors. We can learn how to minister to people and how to help them in their time of need. The, the album that, that Ritter released earlier this year is entitled Spectral Lines, and he wrote it following the death of his mother. And so the background of this song is that he and his family, they, they live in Woodstock, New York. They traveled from there all the way to Idaho, where he grew up, and this was in the, the beginning of the pandemic. And his mother was suffering from cancer, and, and the situation just did not look very good. And so he rented a, a house in his hometown, and he, he woke up one morning, and, and he looked in the mirror, and, and he just knew that things were about to get difficult. And this is when he penned these words. You with the light on your face, who walketh only in grace, things about to get tough. There's a battle that rages. You can't wish it away. You'll have to fight for your love, for your soul. Honey, for your soul. Honey, for your soul. Will you be worthy and yet unworthy in the same breath? And look yourself in the mirror. Will you be righteous and strong? By saying when you are wrong and put aside your own fear for your soul, honey, for your soul, honey, for your soul. 
You with the light in your face, you who can see your own way, things about to get hard, no time for spinning your wheels, hoping to magically heal what might just tear you apart for your soul. Honey, for your soul. Honey, for your soul. Well, there's a lot of truth in this song. There's a lot to learn from this song. And our first observation should probably be that there are people in this world, people who are not religious, people who may not identify as Christians, but they are still concerned about their soul. You know, we don't always think about the condition of our own souls. Even as Christians, we can neglect our soul or we can fail to care for our soul. And often we need something outside of ourselves to wake us up to our own spiritual condition. Most of the time we go through life without considering our mortality. And then all of a sudden something happens. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be a national pandemic. It could be just something big, a tragedy, a catastrophe. Why did so many people leave their jobs during the pandemic? Well, one reason is because people began to think more deeply about their lives. And they thought, well, you know what? I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to do something more meaningful. When Josh Ritter traveled to Idaho to be with his dying mother, he began to think more deeply about his own life. He began to consider the condition of his soul. And so what can we learn from all this? The first is this. We may live in a secular world, but all people will consider their own mortality at some point in their lives. And so I want to suggest that there is plenty of room to have spiritual conversations in a secular world. And we need to position ourselves to be ready to have these conversations. This does not mean that we have to be pushy. We don't need to try to talk to someone about the, the meaning of life right after they've lost a loved one. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that we, we ourselves need to have spiritual lives. And we need to focus on being followers of Jesus. And we need to love our neighbors and the people around us. And doing all of these things positions us to have more meaningful conversations. Because our neighbors will know us as followers of Jesus. And when the time is right, they might just inquire about the faith that they see in us. They may come to us with questions. And so don't be surprised if that happens. Our non-religious neighbors are often not as secular as we imagine them to be. They can be very spiritual people who have just not found Jesus yet. Second, we need to devote ourselves to caring for our soul. If we expect someone to ask us deeper questions about life or death or following Jesus, we need to be on that journey. We need to be seasoned disciples of Jesus. We need to be caring for our soul. You know, one of the reasons that Christianity is in decline in America 
is because many churches have just not discipled people. We were offering Christianity light, a shallow form of Christianity that can easily be left behind. And so um, for, for, for some years, Christians in America have focused all of our energy on salvation and neglected discipleship. Some have preached once saved, always saved. Some have only been concerned about uh, just getting people to take the sacraments and that's it. Um, we have had plans for baptism, but not for discipleship. We rightly preach the Great Commission, but we only focus on half of it. We got people wet, but then we didn't always follow through with teaching them how to follow Jesus. Christianity without discipleship is not Christianity at all. The, the, the invitation of, of Jesus is for us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and to follow him. And if we're not actively engaged in this pursuit, then we're not on the path to salvation. And so we must be caring for our souls. We must be sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, and implementing his teachings in our lives. You know, it's interesting that Jesus associates this, this call to discipleship with soul care. Notice what he says in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Being a disciple means that we are caring for our soul. And caring for our soul is more important than any earthly pursuit. We could gain the whole world, but if we lose our soul, it's going to be meaningless. We could win all the arguments, but if we lose our soul, we've actually lost. We haven't won anything. We could do great good, but if we lose our soul, it's all going to be for naught. We actually see this in the temptation of Jesus. Where it says in Matthew 4, again, the devil took him, took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Think about this. Wouldn't it be good if all the kingdoms of the world belonged to God and they gave him glory? Amen. Wouldn't the world be a better place if, if all the nations just followed Jesus? I think we as Christians would say, yes, absolutely. That would be wonderful if all the nations followed Jesus and they were devoted to him. Then why does Jesus not take Satan up on this? It would be a great thing. The reason he does not accept is because nothing is worth losing your soul over. Amen. The greater good does not matter if you lose your soul in the process. How we do something is just as important as what we do. And so we need to make sure that we're not compromising our soul in any way. Now you might be asking, well, you know, 
how do we do this? How do we care for the soul? Let me give you a couple ways that we do. First, we care for the soul by aiming it towards God. Our soul desires. And so you might think about this question. What is it that your soul desires? And just sit with that question for a little while. And you don't have to answer it out loud or something. Do this by yourself. Be honest. You know, if your soul is troubled, it could be that it's not properly aimed. It may be aimed at something um, which does not satisfy. The fuel for our soul is God. And we see this throughout Scripture. There's lots of verses. Here's a famous one, Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We are to long for God just as the deer longs for water. God is that living water for the soul. And so when we are in a healthy relationship with God, our soul is being continually replenished. And a relationship with God does not happen on its own. If we're not working on this relationship, it's going to shrivel and die. We see this in passages like Deuteronomy 6, which also speaks of the soul. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jesus identifies this passage right here as the greatest command. He says, this is it. This is the greatest command. What is the most important thing we can do, according to Jesus? It's to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And so how is this done? Well, Deuteronomy 6 gives us some insight here. What does it look like um, to love God with all of our soul? Well, it looks like being mindful of God throughout our day. We consider God when we wake up. We consider God when we go to bed. We, we, we think of God all those times in between. We go about our day filtering everything through the lens of God. We don't start with our hobbies or with our politics or with our relationships. We start with God. And we love Him more than anything else. And we don't do this in a legalistic way. Jesus pushed back against this notion when He interacted with the Pharisees. We do this in a transformational way. And so our relationship with God should change our lives. And we should begin to see the, the fruit of our relationship with God. It should lead um, to more peace in our lives and less worry. It should cause us to be more loving. And as we spend time with Jesus, we should look more like him. And if we don't, then something's wrong. A second way that we care for our soul is by walking in the ways of Jesus. So we live in a world that is full of powers and, and influences that are soul-corrupting. Peter warns us of these in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, where he says, Beloved, 
I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are engaged in a battle for the soul. And the way that we lose the battle is by acting just like the world. It does not matter how the world acts. We are to act like Jesus. Why? Because we don't want to lose our soul. We are to do what is good no matter how bad others are acting. We are to do what is right no matter how wrong others are. We're to do what is fair, no matter how unfair others are behaving. If we give in, we're in danger of our soul being corrupted. Because the works of the flesh war against the soul. They're not healthy for us. And so we should abstain from these fleshly ways. But instead, the fruit of the Spirit is soul food. And so these are the ways in which we should walk. Uh, Paul goes into detail about this in Galatians 5 and, and gives us very specific things that we're to do and not to do. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He's describing a battle here. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are spiritually healthy and we are caring for our soul when we walk in the ways of the Spirit in every aspect of life. And so there should be no area of life where the fruit of the Spirit is forbidden. We cannot say the fruit of the Spirit is something I do on Sunday, but not on Monday. Or, you know what, the fruit of the Spirit is really good for church, but it's not that great for business or politics. That's not how it works. That's not how God wants us to live. We're not to have divided lives. Instead, we're to live whole and consistent lives where we strive to, to live in step with the Spirit every minute, every second of every day. We don't keep any part of ourselves from God. We love him with all of our heart. We love him with all of our soul. There's another aspect of this song that we cannot overlook, and, and you see it in the first verse. You also see it in the last. But he says, You with the light on your face, who walketh only in grace. Things about to get tough. There's a battle that rages. You can't wish it away. You'll have to fight for your love, for your soul. And so we need to care for our soul, but we also need to recognize that it is in moments of difficulty 
when our character is tested. You know, it's easy to do right when everyone's doing right. It's easy to be good when everyone is good. But what happens when things change? What happens when life gets difficult? What will we do when the right thing costs us something? What will we do when being good requires sacrifice? Now, we should not be surprised by any of this. Because we see it in story after story throughout Scripture. Abraham is called to leave his homeland and everything he knows to follow God. What will he do? Joseph is sold into slavery and wrongly imprisoned. What will he do? Moses has, has power and, his, and position, but his people are enslaved and they're being mistreated. What will he do? Isaiah is called to preach to a people who will not listen. What will he do? Jesus calls the disciples to leave their jobs, leave their income, and follow him. What will they do? Jesus himself faces the brutality and horror of the cross. What will he do? The call to discipleship is not to live a a pain-free life where everything goes our way. The call to discipleship is to follow in the footsteps of all these faithful individuals who've gone before us to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus to Golgotha. Why? Why not something easier? Why not something simpler? Why not something less painful? We don't have all the answers. But one reason... It's because these trials, these difficulties are actually good for our soul. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so each day we go out into the world, we face a battle. And it is a battle for our soul. We can lose the battle and our soul can become corrupted, as, as, as Peter talks about. Or we can win the battle and our soul can grow in character and love, as Paul talks about. Scripture is not just a manual for how to get wet and go to heaven. It is an encounter with God that should lead us to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, and gentle people. And how we have cared for our soul is revealed in times of testing. And trials are an opportunity for our soul to to, to grow and to be more like Jesus. But this will not happen if we have not prepared ourselves for the battle. And so the choices we make matter. The voices we listen to matter. The goals that we set for ourselves matter. How we read scripture matters. It all matters. C.S. Lewis once said, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. 
there is no neutral ground. There is no place where God and his ways do not matter. It all matters, it truly does. And so this brings us back to the focus of the song and the question that Jesus once asked. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What are you doing for your soul? Are you more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind than you were 10 years ago? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you walking in his ways? Are you looking more like him? Because you see, this is where the battle is at. It's not out there, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle is in here. And you'll face tough days. Will your soul be ready? Don't lose sight of what truly matters. Because there's a battle that rages. You can't wish it away. You'll have to fight for your love, for your soul. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for giving us another day. And Father, we praise you and honor you. We're so grateful for your grace and your mercy. We're in awe that you have sought, thought so highly of us, that you have sent your son to this earth to show us how to live and to die on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven and to overcome death by being raised from the grave. Father, I pray that we would look more and more like Jesus. That the image of Christ would be seen in us. I pray that we would care for our souls. That we would be mindful of what you have given us. That we would be mindful of how we are to live in a world that is so wrong. We're so grateful for Jesus leading the way and providing the example. We pray this in his name. Amen. Won't you stand and receive this blessing from the book of 1 Thessalonians? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ.